0: This is Talking Asset Management with KPMG. In today's episode, we focus on business development companies.
1: Well, hello everyone. This is uh, Pat Brooks, and uh, this is our Credit Series podcast in Talking Asset Management with KPMG. You've, I think, heard my voice once or twice before on some other podcasts, and today I'm joined by two of my partners who are in our uh, regulated uh, funds practice. Uh, Deirdre Fortune, who leads that practice, and Raj Patel, who does a lot of work in that practice along with a a whole bunch of other areas. So I'm going to start out with an easy, easy one for you. And so Deirdre, because of your seniority, you get it first. So, okay.
2: Thanks, Matt. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We're going to talk about BDCs here, right? That's what we're going to be talking about today. So what is a BDC?
2: So, really, a business development company, which is what BDC stands for, is basically a created vehicle. So, from a tax perspective, it is a regulated investment company and falls under all of those rules. But really, why it was initially launched from an SEC standpoint is to focus on um, kind of middle market lending and that kind of investment, which the banks don't always hit. So it was this middle area of the lending or support for companies that BDCs were were originally launched for.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we see that there's a lot of BDCs going on. So why go into this product? I mean, we hear about all sorts of other areas. I mean, we hear people going to CLOs or credit funds or things like that. But why, why go into this product?
0: Yeah, um, you know, the simple answer is that just everybody loves BDCs, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Investors love them because they're liquid. They provide a stable dividend. The pretty good yield, I think last year the average was about 8% for the industry, also gives investors leveraged exposure to alternative investments, um, since a lot of BDCs will hold some equity positions in addition to debt. And um, it's also appealing to foreign investors, since um, a lot of the income that BDCs generate is interest income. And as long as there isn't a high equity ownership in the borrower, usually that interest is free of withholding if it was in a partnership form. Uh, BDCs have a um, special provision that allows them to pass that character through to the dividends. So to the extent dividends are related to interest income, foreign investors aren't subject to any U.S. tax withholding, which is great. Um, Advisors love this kind of product because it provides permanent capital. Um, also higher than expected management fee rates than a lot of other asset classes and gives them the ability to earn an incentive fee. Um, in addition to that, there's also ample uh, opportunity for deployment of capital, just given that um, the middle market segment isn't a segment that banks are really willing to lend to um, to meet the, the demand in that segment. So uh, that's where BDCs really come in and that market really relies on them. And you know, middle market businesses are really the backbone of the economy.
1: Deirdre, you, you listen to Raj. He obviously is a huge cheerleader for, for BDCs. As you're talking, I'm sitting there wondering, well, why don't we just see everyone doing BDCs? Like, I mean, that it, 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 it sounds like it's it's all good. And I'm just curious to what your guys' thoughts are on what, what are some reasons why people don't go into BDCs?
2: The hesitation, I think, in going into BDCs is around the regulation that comes with it, being an SEC entity. So that will be something that especially, you know, we see a lot of new entrants come into this business and they're coming from private equity or they're coming from private credit shops and you're gone from a non-regulated environment to a regulated environment. So this product is very expensive from that perspective. You know, there's 10Qs files quarterly, 10K at the end of the year, a lot of reporting That goes around that, and then it's exasperated when it comes to being a public BDC. So I think that's definitely something that, you know, before people jump in, that is something that uh, you have to be aware of. And I know even in the private BDC world, which we've seen a lot of new launches. Definitely. Don't want that private to fool anybody. There still comes with a lot of reporting and a lot of regulation, even with that private name.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we see... We, we have a lot of credit fund clients that are sort of, they, they diversify their, their funds by having some BDCs and some CLOs and some some uh, writer credit funds. And know those BDCs that may be public, privates, they, they, they do all sorts of different things. And so they're giving their investors a real diverse type of platform. I mean, I think that's something that's that we're all seeing. No one else can see us. We're all nodding our heads saying, yes, that's true, Pat, which is great. Thank you. So just. Before we get into some of the tax considerations, I am curious to, like, what are some of the strategies you guys are seeing that these um, BDCs are deploying?
2: Yeah. So I would think, as Raj mentioned about the middle market, that is definitely something that we see in the majority of. It's middle market lending, either senior or senior lending. We also see the lending more towards the tech and venture new businesses and for a time we actually with the with the invention of the SPAC and the popularity of the SPAC we even saw BDCs thinking about getting into into that investing as well but and then as Raj mentioned too on the equity side I would say initially equity BDCs were very popular and may not be as much anymore Um, we've seen the kind of downturn and more the focus really, on on the middle market lending.
1: So so this might go without saying, but I I guess we're still seeing inflows into the BDC market, significant inflows.
2: Yes, we're still seeing it. And uh, recently, even more of a pickup when it comes to that. And you would think at this point, maybe that, there's no opportunities out there that were coming a little saturated, but there is still still opportunities, and people are looking for other kind of asset classes within that lending that maybe from a, a leasing perspective, um, financing companies, so different areas, too, of investments underneath to looking at diversifying what that strategy is going to be.
1: Okay. Okay. well, I mean, look, this is a great perspective on on sort of what's going on in the BDC market. Many of the people listening might already sort of be really in tune with a lot of that. But let's just talk about just a few of the tax considerations. And one thing that I've worked with both of you guys on is really that setup. It seems like the, the setup of a BDC there, there are some potential footfalls there that, that we've seen. So either one of you, you can chime in through our experiences. I, I don't care who goes first. <laughs>
0: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the, you know, the, there are many different ways to form a BDC. You could start with cash, and that's the, the easiest way. Um, a, a lot of times that, that doesn't work, right? There needs to be a portfolio of assets that, that's dropped in um, to get the BDC ready to go. Um, and you know, you, you could have a situation where you start with a C corporation and you convert it into a regulated investment company. You could have a partnership that you're converting In either case, there are a lot of traps for the unwary, especially if you have appreciated assets that are being contributed. Um, So the key point here is that planning is critical. It's critical to um, sit down with the tax advisor, um, look at the assets that are going in, what's the structure that we're using, and make sure that um, any avenues to avoid or delay gain recognition are taken, because there, there certainly are some.
2: Yeah. And just from a regulated investment company side, the rules when it comes to you need to have a diversified portfolio at the end of each quarter. So if you're launching a fund, you know, in the middle of a quarter and that's the end is going is the the quarterly end is coming up soon. Ramping that up can be a challenge. And then the type of income that you can have in there as well. You know, there is limitations as to what kind of gross income is included Your interest dividends gains are good but some of the other types of income so pure like leasing income or or rental income will be bad income so those are the kind of things to really in that planning stage as you said Pat is really really important
1: yeah no that, that, that that's good advice because we do see that and, and everyone's trying to do the right thing there just can be some some pitfalls you have to be careful of. In, in, in this market, what do you see as far as uh, loan modifications? And, and, and so are, what are some of the considerations people would think through from a loan modification standpoint?
0: Yeah, and, and the, the, the impact of a significant loan modification here in the BDC world really depends on uh, the BDC's investment profile. So if you have BDCs that are primarily originating loans, a significant modification is not going to have much of a tax impact. At a high level, a significant modification from a tax standpoint results in potential gain recognition. It's viewed as old loan being extinguished and a new loan being issued and you know, proceeds equal to the new loan being provided. So you could have gain if you have unamortized discount. So you can imagine if you have a, just originated loan, discount generally isn't that high, so not really a big deal. Probably just creates a book tax timing difference to track. If you have BDCs that, um, that, that buy distressed positions, you may have a different story. So if you have a, a significantly discounted loan that was acquired and it's significantly modified, um, all of that discount gets recognized upon modification from a tax standpoint. Um, and none of the cash accompanies that, right? So you have dry income that the BDC needs to distribute, but you don't have cash uh, associated with it. So that becomes a little bit more of a problem or just an issue to, to think through. Uh, but for most of the, the BDCs we work with, they're primarily originating. So while it's a headache, it's not really an issue from a tax standpoint, doesn't really cause an adverse result. Well, that's great. That was, that was a really thorough explanation too. So thank you very much. Just uh,
1: as, as we end this podcast, just is there any other, are there any other tax considerations you guys are Seen or thinking through right now that you might want to just let the audience uh, be aware of real quick?
0: Yeah, you know, what, one that comes to mind, especially for the smaller BDCs, the private ones with less than 500 um, persons, their shareholders, there is a gross up of the dividends. So basically, when when the, the BDC reports a dividend, it's, net, it's gross income netted in with expenses. For these smaller BDCs, the expenses have to be grossed up so they effectively become non-deductible and that's because these are management fees and other investment expenses that if you incurred through a partnership for example you wouldn't be able to deduct so it just puts these small bdcs on par with other private funds but that's one that um, is is you know easily forgotten
1: well i thank
0: you both for your time
1: really appreciate it we really appreciate everyone joining us raj deirdre great job to all the people listening in, again, thank you and take care.
0: Thanks for listening to Talking Asset Management with KPMG. Be sure to subscribe to the series and visit read.kpmg.us forward slash talking asset management for more information.